The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it. You must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks roughing the passer, roughing, roughing, <laughs> should always be allowed. That's Lenny. Actually, based on the rhetoric across Sports Nation, I think everyone agrees with Lenny this morning. I'm Mina Kimes, joined, as always, on Tuesdays by Dominique Foxworth. Dominique, how tired of you? How tired are you of talking about roughing the passer? Oh, my gosh. I'm very tired of it. It's... I mean, the pendulum swung so aggressively from this game is not safe to this game is too safe. And I understand the difference is there's a, I mean, the difference is Tua, it wasn't about the roughing call as much as it was about five days putting him back in the game, uh, in a game. I guess putting him back in the original game and then five days later putting him back in another game. But I feel like it's undeniable that the referees, even though there was no edict sent out, the referees reacted to the yeah. Tua fiasco because I know roughing calls were up or are up dramatically in the past couple of weeks this season. So it's a thing that's happening. And I think the conclusion I came to after talking about it for many hours this morning is what you're asking <laughs> the defensive players to do is is almost impossible but also what you're asking the referees to do is almost impossible Yeah, because you're trying to protect defenseless guys from guys who are moving really fast and, and are really big and escaping other big people. And the rule isn't as clear <laughs> as yeah. uh, we would have thought it was. It's like a lot of judgment and it's just really hard for everybody. But when you come, when you get get down to it, I was thinking about this earlier today. And again, we've talked about it many hours, so I've had every angle, and you're getting them all. Just an angle dump. The other dump of the angle is: is NFL really mad about it? Like, I feel like they're Ooh, at I least when I'm making. I, yeah, I have an angle you I'm might making, not have heard yet. Okay, okay, all right, all right. I'll give you my angle. We'll see no, if, no, I, see if this angle. Let me hear your angle. Let's hear it. All right, so Let's dump all these angles. Whenever I'm making like big decisions, one thing that I like to do is think of worst case scenarios. And sometimes it guides me in my decision is like, which worst case can I live with more? And so for the NFL, over officiating yeah. quarterbacks. The worst case scenario is a new cycle of we ruined the game. Like the worst case scenario is what happened on Sunday with uh, the Buccaneers. We cost them a game, or maybe they didn't cost them a game, but like we influenced the game. If we are not over-refereeing or over-protecting the quarterbacks, the worst case scenario is we have another Tua news cycle that reaches Good Morning America which is where that was. And we are talking about on the heels of the Tua fiasco. We're talking about another quarterback out and we have to market games with defensive tackles. So yeah, on a team by team basis, mm. it sucks. But on a league wide basis, I'm not sure it sucks that much. Yeah. To your point, which is the business NFL point of it all, the number of people who are going to stop watching football because of these calls, I'm holding up my hand to show you how many people it is. Folks, 
and the audio audience, it is zero. Um, I think as far as like, look, everybody hated the call. Nobody's saying it was a good call. Nobody liked the Tom Brady call. I think as far as like what can be done, because I agree with you, I think the incentive for the NFL to try to prevent quarterback injuries outweighs any outrage. Um, it's okay to mess up, but like, you know, you could probably fix it quickly, right? Like, I think that's what struck me about the Jones thing is like, I saw a lot of views where it did look like he landed on the quarterback and that is a rule, but you know, the problem is we in the TV audience are seeing what supposedly the eye in the sky is seeing. So it feels like, eh, can't you fix this quickly? And then I would say after to don't double down <laughs> like Jerome Boger, yeah. whoever's Carl Sheffers in this case was the one doubling Boger was the uh, Brady call. Like you, you don't have to double down if it's wrong. Like we know it's wrong. Come on. Just made a mistake. Um, I, okay. So here's my angle on the call though, that maybe you haven't heard in your, 20,000 appearances this morning. <laughs> I think it's why the Chiefs won the game. Has anyone made oh, that, taken that angle? No, I, that's a okay. brand new one. So I, okay, I joked about this on Twitter. I said that um, Wright is his name, the backup kicker. His 59-yarder mm. was fielded by booze, but I actually kind of believe <laughs> it. Like, did it not feel like after that call? First of all, okay, I, I I did feel like the, the refs were really afraid to call against the Chiefs oh, yeah. after that. Like, <laughs> his, which, his voice cracked. <laughs> he was so nervous, Jeffers. And then I also, I, I really felt like, I know I, I'm not like a momentum person or whatever, but I do. it yeah. did feel like the freaking crowd was so intense after that and the I, I don't know I kind of felt like the team was feeding off of it I mean that's not why they I'm with won. You. I just think it ended up I'm with you it was yeah. no I'm gonna that was the reason they won um <laughs> I do think we at some point we should define some of these like amorphous terms like momentum because I'm not yeah. someone who believes in momentum but if you describe it in a different way I could because like I believe what you're saying and I think a lot of people call that sort of stuff momentum but i don't really believe in like momentum but there's something about the way the flow of the game changes how aggressively coaches call and change um how aggressively players play there needs to be an official definition for momentum because i never use the word momentum because i think it's just it feels like a cop-out it's yeah. like i don't know how to explain it it was the mo <laughs> it's a vibe shift and I guess that could lead us into the other big discourse conversation coming out of this game, which is the two point thing. Um, but I want to, I, I, I want to put a pin in that, and I actually want to talk about the football okay, for okay. a second. Is that okay? Can I can't we talk wait about the to. Football? I can't. Yeah, I cannot wait to yell at the people who are not here who disagree with that decision. But yeah, let's talk about the football. Um, I actually think the, the decision was debatable, but we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, I'm doing the thing where I said we're not going to talk about it, and I started talking about it. Okay. Um. I mean, this game for me is like was a pretty simple one. In the first half, the Raiders' pass rush dominated, and in the second half, they didn't. I don't like. Is that an overly simplistic rubric for viewing how this went down? No, I think that's fair. I also think that uh, that defined the game. But what I walked away from the game feeling was we've moved into a new era of football, and we are like flatly in it where the receiver, the number one receiver, is like what running backs were when we were growing up watching football. It feels to me like they are a very integral piece to a good team. You know, like we were growing up, everybody had a really good running back. Any team that was good had a good running back. And it feels like in watching this game, 
what Devontae Adams did to that defense and forcing them to adjust to him or getting past the rest or big plays was the only reason the Raiders were in the game. And then all of a sudden their running attack is working. It's because they couldn't play single high coverages anymore because Devontae Adams was eating them alive. And when I was watching the Chiefs, nobody was open. And they, when they played zone, Patrick Mahomes was feasting. When they played man, yeah. Patrick Mahomes was doing all right. Like he was throwing, he, he was required to throw perfect passes because nobody on that team could get any separation. And they were doing those cross field, like horizontal go routes that they used to do with Tyreek Hill with, um, Valdez. It just feels like at some point it's going to hurt him. And the one guy they have that can beat man coverage is Travis Kelsey and he's a tight end. It's a different fear that it puts into defense when you have that how much it looked like they were in a lot of man and, and they were the Raiders played cover one on 46% of dropbacks. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' QBR against man in this game was 94.2. His QBR against zone was 24.9. Um, so you're absolutely right. It, it, it really ultimately, he just made a, like a bunch of like, he was just putting it right on the receivers. And I hope you mix those up uh, because otherwise I'm, Really wrong. Well, you said he wasn't playing super well against zone. What was it against? Oh, no, no. I thought he played well against zone. I thought he didn't play well. At, or I thought he played well he against man. He did play man, well against man, yeah. And he played well um, in zone. Well, he, they were much more successful when the Raiders were in man. I think that's. I think right. a lot of that is just because a lot of the really big plays and then the touchdowns, you know, the Raiders were in man coverage. But, like, really, you're right. Like, they weren't separating. It was just, like, I can't even, the number of times Patrick Mahomes right. literally, it looked like he was shooting, like, a dart and it was just hitting the receiver, like, you know, and he was placing the ball yeah. so well at times, just, like, right in the perfect spot. Um, and, you know, fortunately for him, like, MVS came down with some contested catches. He had a drop as well. Kelsey, of course, had some absurd catches when the Raiders were in man coverage. But I do wonder, to your point, because the Chiefs wide receivers can't really separate right now, they rank, you know, the NGS has those like separation yeah. metrics, like they rank near the bottom in right. just about every one. I do wonder, uh, Dominique, if more defenses will play man coverage against Kansas City, which is crazy. It seems obvious that that's, it seems obvious that that's what you have to do. So I guess Patrick's going to yeah. have to run more uh, and he's just going to have to be incredibly accurate throughout the course of this game because I don't see an answer on the horizon. Maybe Nicole Harmon's been injured, so maybe when he gets healthy, he'll be able to influence defenses. Because, like, I, I thought he was going to have a big year without Tyreek. Because it seemed like when they drafted him, he was, like, their transition plan from Tyreek Hill. But, yeah, it seemed – I guess that's been my big thing today is the difference between the Bills and the oh Chiefs God. and Stephon Diggs. Well, and David. Jesus and, Christ. And having – like, can you imagine – yeah, like what he does to man coverage is so important. And the Chiefs don't have that guy. So Patrick's so good, and he put up good numbers against man coverage, but I think this falls into the 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 eye test. If you watch that game, he put up good numbers against man coverage. He scored a lot of touchdowns with Kelsey against man coverage. He made a lot of great great plays. But it was, yes. like, laborious. It's, you can't the margin for like error that. is very small. Like, every single one of those catches had to right. be made. And it isn't, like, you don't see guys running wide open in this offense the way they used to. And you're right. Like, it is such a contrast with the Bills where they have not just one, but now two wide receivers who can absolutely, you know, who can yeah. separate, who yeah. can make contested catches, who are really good route runner. I mean, it's just, it, it, it it's challenging. And, yeah, the, the crazy thing about the Raiders is, like, they have that guy. But it felt like until this game, I mean, where, where has yeah. that been? I, so, 
but prior to this game, he went off in week one. I feel like, right? Didn't I feel like I remember week one? We were talking about maybe it was week one, but prior to this game, Dominique. So you know, they were they he threw it to him a couple times downfield and got pi, and then of course had that that fourth down play. But prior to this game. There, uh, Derek Carr, I saw this number statistic, I wanted to write it down because it blew my mind, had only targeted Devontae Adams three times deep. What? Why? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, uh, and then that combined uh, with the fact that Josh Jacobs is, I think right now, it looks like one of the best backs in the NFL. Like, this should be a really good offense. Yeah. I mean, they did all that without yeah. Waller last night, so... Yeah, um, I don't know. I wish I had an answer. Their offensive guru is not guruing. Um, do we? Can we talk about Hunter yeah. Renfro at all? Like, is that what? What happened to him? Why is he sabotaging <laughs> them at the end of the Cardinals game and at the end of this game? He, that was brutal. He's a he's a not make mistakes guy. He's a film room yeah. guy, right? He's a sneaky, fast guy, and at the end of games, he is. He's not out there acting like a coach's son. He looked like a coach's son, but he's that not playing tough. like a coach's son. I feel son. like that screw-up was kind of lost in all the other discoursing happening today because in some ways it is – well, it, between that and then Devontae Adams hitting the camera guy on the way out, I feel like Hunter Renfro really has a lot of people to thank oh, today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm sure he feels terrible because he had like two two critical fumbles at the end of that Cardinals game. Um, pretty much cost them the game because they scooped and scored uh, in overtime to end it. And then at the end of this game, he takes out. And he ran a great route. He kind of left one Thornhill. And I think the ball was going up in the middle of the field because they – it was kind of similar to that big touchdown that Adams had earlier where it's it's um, a fourth and short situation and the Chiefs are committed to stop that run. And they leave Devontae Adams in man coverage with no help with uh, these corners. And it – I mean, it was probably going to be a touchdown <laughs> or at least put so, him in field goal range. Yeah. Uh, about those corners. Just um, apart. What do you think of Chiefs defense? Because they had some success blitzing Carr in the second half. Yeah. Um, Adams is a tough <sighs> ask for Corners I know, Well, I was going to say Adams is like, I know, yeah. you know, there there were some young guys out there yeah. and they're missing Trent McDuffie. But, you know, Devontae Adams is like a tough ask for any corner it's hard for me to like truly fault i'm not sure what steve spagnolo could have done in that situation yeah i could i mean a couple things uh so you can play single high and just roll somebody over which then puts everybody else in zero coverage which kind of stinks but you also could not press Devonte adams like i understand the point that you want to press and you want to throw him off you want to give your blitz time to get home but I mean, that's, that's what I would do against Randy is like, look, <laughs> you can have 10 yards. You're not going to get 80. Yeah. Like, that's just how we're going to play this. And, and you want to, so if you want to blitz or if you want to do other things, you want to live to fight another day. And so keep him in front and tackle him. It just, and the, the corners weren't in terrible position. It's just pass interference is going to get called. If it's underthrown and if you throw it on like in a reasonable position, Devontae's gonna win it. He's much better than they are. And that's like unfair for them to be in as much man coverage and expect them to survive. And also yeah. press man coverage. Like but that's that's the thing that really got me is like get off, get off. Please yeah. get off. I, I walked away from this, I would say feeling as good about Patrick Mahomes as ever. 
a little bit worse yeah. about the Chiefs offense than I did last week and yeah. better about the Raiders defense just seeing because this was kind of like the Raiders defense we expected before the season which is like a really really dominant four-man rush right. um and you know they hung tough I thought for most of the game um which I guess brings us back to the two-point thing and we can end here so essentially this wasn't really like an analytics thing. It's, it's the funny thing. It's, it's kicked off this whole like debate about analytics as every dis- aggressive decision does. But, um, I, you know, I tweeted this. Our model basically had it as a wash. To me, I think that's because so the, the benefits of going for two are obviously then all you have to do is get one stop and you win versus if you tie the game, you have to get a stop and then potentially you have to get another stop in overtime to win the game. Um, the downside is that if you score and you're up one, you're incentivizing the Chiefs to be more aggressive on their next drive. And I think that's probably why it was a wash. And for me, Dominique, that's why I was like, I could go either way here. Like, it really comes down to, I see the argument for, okay, it's only one yard and we can win. However, like, do we really trust our defense to get that second stop against an aggressive Chiefs offense that's using all four of its downs? I'm not so sure. So I, it, for me, it could go either way. Yeah, so the 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 models do not take like specific game scenarios into consideration. Um but I guess the reason why and like like you said it's not uh, obvious this is stupid if you don't agree with it decision. And I don't always fall on the analytics side. I think most of the time I fall on the like analytics side of these decisions, but I don't always always which when we get to the winners and wolves, I think one of my wolves is mainly just talking about those decisions or one of my winners is mainly just talking about those decisions but what is the worst case scenario i guess is what i was thinking is and i guess this goes back to the earlier decision making model is like if you make the um if you tie it the worst case scenario is patrick mahomes scores and then you get the ball back trailing with a chance to go down and tie it or take the lead Okay, and the other scenario is like, if we miss it, then we get the ball back with a chance to score or take the lead. And so it seemed to me that the even, you know, like if you make it or you miss it, the worst thing that could happen is you is you get what they got. They ended up with the ball. And that's what made it hard for me to listen to people talk about how stupid decision was. They ended up with the ball man coverage at midfield. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? This is the reason, that, I think, the, the reason yes, why we get in. Well, they, the, the yeah. Chiefs, the re- arguably, the Chiefs could have just actually driven and scored the field goal there. And so, you know, it could have gone a different right. way. Yeah. Yeah. It could have. But I guess my point is when we, so many people who come up on the wrong side of analytics right. wait for the result and then talk about uh, it was a bad decision. Had they made a two-point conversion, I don't think any of the people who hate uh, going aggressiveness would be saying what they're saying, but what they wanted was a tie, which if you get a tie, then what you're hoping for is what you ended up with <laughs> the ball in a situation where you could yeah. potentially win. Like you're hoping you win the coin toss or you hoping that you stop the chiefs and get the ball back. So I guess that's what I had a hard time with was like, it seems like when you want to be against the analytically driven decision, which we agree is not overwhelmingly analytically driven in this situation, but when you want to be against it, you're not willing to understand, or some people aren't willing to understand that the decision is based on 
everything else that could possibly happen in the Problem next is, four years. We just always minutes. have this debate to over when things don't work out. <laughs> like yeah, the real like exactly. Um, my objection with McDaniel, I said this on SportsCenter, was that earlier in the game he went for it on fourth down. They had the shot play to Adams, which of course worked. And then on the next chance in Chiefs territory, he kicked the field goal to go up seventeen to zero on fourth and one. Like that was a decision where I don't, I don't even have the model in me. I can tell you right now, it's probably clear go. Um, and that's kind of like what I, I think with coaches generally, and this was some of my frustration with like Staley earlier in the season. It's like, okay, what's your like approach here? Like, is there a coherent process to all of this? And it felt, it feel, and it's felt a little bit like with McDaniel's. It, there's no coherence in some of the decision making. I think that's that was my issue. It's like, hey, you're aggressive here, but then now you're like, okay, we're happy to be up 17-0. At the end of the game, you're aggressive again. It just kind of feels like a little all over the place. Yeah, maybe we should go to the winners and wolves. And can I go first? Because this yeah. like connects completely <laughs> okay, well, to the conversation that we're about to have. Let's take a quick break and then come back. All right, people, we are brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. See, it's not just about the daily promos, odds boosts, or the hundreds of ways to wager. It's about the immortal words of Caesar himself. You bet, you get with Caesar's Rewards. Every bet you place on the app, no matter the outcome, earns towards exclusive perks at Caesar's Rewards destinations everywhere. Hotel stays, concert tickets, bonuses, and more. Download the Caesars Sportsbook app, become a Caesars Rewards member today, and get more with every wager. Must be 21 years or older to gamble. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-522-4700. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. All right, Dominique, what is your winner? My winner is John Harbaugh because he decided to kick in a pivotal (laughs) 
fourth and short situation uh, that was like almost identical to the situation the week prior where he went for it and he was ridiculed. The reason why I got him as a winner for making the wrong analytical decision <laughs> is because, and like it's, I, I certainly think that he should have gone for it. And I think that generally the reason why you follow the analytics is because over a large enough sample, you'll come out in the right. You may not get it right every time, but over a large enough sample, you'll win. So that would be an argument for he should have done it again because this time it probably would have worked. But actually, I had um I talked about this on my podcast, which you guys should all download, rate and review. Dominic Foxworth show. Go check it out. Yeah, it's pretty great. I think um the next episode we're gonna uh chop off my Michael Irvin impersonation and put it on there. So that should be fun. <laughs> I saw that was very good. <laughs> but, forgot to tell you. Thank you. But um the I had uh, drinks with a, a, a guy last week who like run really big companies and I was just talking about talking to him about his decision making process and me having gone to business school. We love frameworks and we love processes and we love analytics. We love to have let the numbers tell us what to do. And what this guy told me is the thing that he learned in his career was to follow his instincts more often. He gave a, a long example about um, listening to the union was trying to push to raise the minimum wage and all the numbers and all the leverage they had was that they didn't have to. And all his people who were under him, the executives under him were like, no, we can't do it. It's going to hurt our profitability. And he listened to him, even though he wanted to do it anyway. And he regretted it because he was talking about how, what he needed to manage was not the stock price at that moment. What he needed to manage was the like emotional, stability of his organization and also like the goodwill that he could build up and then use eventually. And I guess that is possibly because I, that, that, um, conversation was fresh in my mind. But when I was watching Harbaugh, like do the absolutely wrong analytical decision, I'm like, nah, like you, sometimes the smart thing to do is not to behave like a computer or a video game and understand that no matter what, if we don't make this, and we lose this game for whatever psychological management I have to do, I will better position myself in my team right now. That is the point that I want to hone in on because I think you, you just said the word management. I think right. sometimes when coaches make decisions, we're like, okay, well, he just doesn't want to be criticized by the outside world. I think that's stupid. If a coach is doing stuff so he won't be criticized on first take, that's obviously wrong. If he's coaching because, you know, he wants his bosses to not get mad at him because, you know, whatever. No. However, being a coach, as you said, it, you're, you're the CEO and you're also responsible for the sentiments of an entire organization. And I think that's where I, I, I agree with you here because I feel like at a certain point you have to be like cognizant of like, okay, how let's say this doesn't work. What is this going to do to our locker room? What is the sentiment going to be like? I was thinking about that when um, the Chargers and, and Staley went for it against the Browns and Keenan Allen tweeted a couple of like, yeah, you know, exactly. and, and that I was like, oh, see, this is a problem. And I'm someone who's right. defended a lot of the decisions that Brandon Staley made. But right. if you're one of your best players is upset, like that's part of your job, man. Like you, part of your job is managing... And you can say, well, then the problem is the communication, not the decision. But whatever it is, 
you are responsible for everybody rowing in the same direction. And that's kind of where I, I, I hear what you're saying on Harbaugh. Right. Um, and I, and I, I, I get it. Like I, I do get it. I think these are all the things we weigh when we, t- when we look at these decisions, I suppose. Um, it's, I just, it's it always comes back to me. Yeah. For head coaches, um, you can hire somebody to coordinate the offense, the defense, the special teams. You can hire people to do everything, but that CEO role, that management role, that like culture setting role, like that to me is the one thing that the head coach is like uniquely positioned to influence yeah. more than anyone else. So I, I think that's part of the reason like Harbaugh is a special teams coach. And like when I played there, he would come into our DB meeting room and like try to participate in the DB meetings sometimes. And we'd kind of be like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll do it that way. But like, it wasn't really, you know, like it wasn't really how you play that coverage. He didn't really fully understand it. And, and some people might take that to be like, oh, he's not a good coach. Like, no, he's a special teams coordinator, which means he's more prepared, frankly, than anybody to like manage a bunch of unmotivated, disparate personalities from all over. Like it kind of is the right course to go, but quarterbacks are important. So you got to get somebody who your quarterback likes. Well, I get that's actually a pretty good transition to my winner. It's a great transition Ooh, actually. Uh, yeah, a lot of coaching talk right now. I actually thought my winners and woofs connected, but they also connect to your winner. All right. So my winner is a winner that a lot of people have right now. And that's Brian Dable who did embrace that CEO role as the head coach, having Mike Kafka be a play caller, even though he was a play caller in Buffalo, bringing in a very experienced defensive play caller in Wink Martindale. And here's why. Here's why I think he is the frontrunner for coach of the year. Obviously, the fact that the record speaks for itself. But watching the Giants play the Packers, I was thinking, okay, well, what can we really put on coaches, right? There's decision-making, which we talk about, obviously play calling, if they do that, game management, But to me, like the biggest thing and the thing that can be hard to quantify is, are they getting the most out of their talent? And watching Green Bay and New York, I was like, damn, there is not a position group right now in which the Giants are better than the Packers. Maybe you could say Saquon, but, you know, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are very good. So I would say that's that's a wash. And yet they are beating them. Right. Like and the Packers didn't have, you know, they don't have great wide receivers. Freaking Giants leading receiver was Darius Slayton, who I like, and a guy from the practice squad. Half of their defense was out. The Packers defense is so talented, but they were outplaying them in the second half. And like, if that's not coaching, I don't know what is. And if that's not a good reason to make this dude the coach of the year, well, I don't know. I can't think of one. Yeah, I'm... I'm sorry to keep plugging my own podcast, but we like <laughs> our minds are on the same wavelength because we spent a, Charlie and I spent a good portion of podcast trying to figure out how do we actually evaluate coaches because nobody is breaking down game plans. Like what yeah. we kind of end up doing is be like, do we like this guy? Are they playing better than we thought they would play? Hey, that guy's coach of the year. But the point that you made about Dayball is pretty impressive is that not only the the Packers, but I'm thinking about position groups that I would trade for. And it's like, 
I don't around the league like of competitive teams. I don't want nothing that the, the Giants. Giants got, dude. They didn't even have yeah. Leonard Williams or Aziz Ojulari. They freaking yeah, exactly. uh, Adoree Jackson got hurt. And they, there were literally okay. I pride myself in knowing a lot of NFL players. There were at least six or seven players on the field who I had never <laughs> heard of in my life before watching that game. Oh, <laughs> uh, speaking of players' names, um, Divine Diablo. Great name. What a name. Great name. Outstanding. That's top 10. Outstanding. No question. It's just like the the juxtaposition of the names. Just ah, perfect. Yeah. Well done. Well done, anyway. sir. But like, what a contrast with the Packers, dude. Like, I'm going to talk about them later in the week as I preview. But like, that defense should be so good. They're every so year, talented. Rita. I know. And they come- Every year. That's sucks. They burn me every year. I'm like, they're going to be good this year. I know. They got pass they got, rushers. They got me. They got the best corner in football. Yeah, and every year they get me. They didn't get me this year. Not this year. I don't believe in them. I yeah, I'm, I I made that mistake and it's this again, summer. Again on the number one receiver thing. It's yeah. like late in that game, they needed somebody to to break it. Yeah. And Wink is going zero blitz and they don't got no but they don't have one matchup against the Giants. They didn't have one matchup where I was like, "You know where they're going?" It's like, "No, they don't have anybody they trust." Who's your wolf? Um, I forgot. Hold on. Let me look it up. Okay, well, I'll do mine, actually, because it's the... I got it. Nope, 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 <laughs> nope. My wolf, Miami. Ooh. All of the Miami Dolphins, the, I mean, I guess not the whole city of Miami, but the Dolphins and what happened last weekend with another quarterback going out with a head injury and then them getting shellacked by the traditional doormat the receipt keeper himself, uh, the New York Jets. Like that was, it's just so like wild how, what type of roller coaster we've been on with the Dolphins this season. Yeah. From their off season of foolishness to the early season excitement to now they're back at the bottom and the coach went from, Hey, that's going to be coach of the year. He's smart and thoughtful to he's up here. Like he would never put players in harm's way. And then can't muster very many points. Can't stop anybody. This was like a pr- pretty bad week for them. Yeah. Uh, can, all things considered. Yeah. I, I feel like their Dolphins, some Dolphins might say, well, you know, we're, I mean, uh, you know what? I don't like doing it. I don't like characterizing the entire fan base. Obviously, yeah. they've been incredibly unlucky uh, when it comes. I mean, right. Teddy Bridgewater getting hit by Gardner in the first play of the game, blitz, knocked out with the concussion. Um, you know, hope he's okay. We'll see what happens next week. Having Skylar Thompson come in, you know, just blind like that is not an easy situation. However, I did think this was a team where the – and granted, there's some injuries on the defense as well, Xavier and Howard, you know, but I, I still thought they would be well-coached and have enough talent – Anyway, and the thing about the Jets game too is like, like it was like nineteen to seventeen until the end, and then its wheels came off with some turnovers and stuff. Um, but yeah, it it is truly, it feels like a reversal of fortunes that happened so very fast. Do you think that they can? I mean, assuming Tua comes back and he's okay, Man. I don't know. That's the thing. Yeah. That's why it's like. I was still not high on him, but still confident when Teddy was out there. But given what happened the last time they had a wobbly quarterback and they put him in the following week, like I kind of feel like there's no way that they can put Teddy back, no matter how he performs in a concussion protocol. Yeah. Like this week's got to be Skyler again. 
and maybe Teddy the following week. Who knows when Tua comes back? Like, I know we gloss over this stuff and, and we love football and we get back to it, but like, they strapped that man to a, to a stretcher and took him off the field. Like, it seems unlikely that, uh, they're going to have him back anytime soon and they can't bring Teddy back a week after he was knocked out of the game given their recent history. So like, the games don't matter nearly as much when we're talking about this health stuff, but if we're talking about the games, I guess maybe Skyler, with a week of practice, it'll be something different. But I don't know. I just feel like a really, really bad week for them. I mean, bad several weeks for them. Not having Toronto said also was an absolute killer in this game. Right. I mean, the whole off, you know, God, who they had. Well, Greg Little was on once. I mean, the Jets defensive line was just teeing off on them. And it was a tough situation for Skyler. So maybe if see what the status with Armstead, that might be equally important getting him back. Um, my wife is also a coach, so we can wrap here because it, it kind of brings together the whole coaching discussion in some ways, which is, of course, Matt Rule, who was the first coach fired. Nobody's surprised. There's no debate about this. Um, but it, it did get me thinking, Dominique, about something that you and I have talked a lot about, which is just like hard, how difficult it is to evaluate who's going to be a good coach. Um, you know, M Matt Rule is brought in as that sort of CEO type turnaround specialist, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, the genius play caller. It's the, this guy had incredible success in college, turning around programs. We want to turn around program. He's a leader of men. Um, but obviously it didn't work out. People have pointed to the fact that they never got it right at quarterback being the issue. But I have to say, and this kind of connects to what we were talking about with Dable, while they, they've had, you know, it's so you're looking at Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, Cam Newton, Baker Mayfield. None of those quarterbacks played particularly well for Matt Rule, but they've all played better in other spots, I think. And that's kind of where at a certain point you have to, you know, isolate the variable a bit and say, OK, like it's not about being a playoff team or getting great offense, obviously far from it. But like it's about directionally, does it feel like people are coming to your team right. and improving and it just wasn't the case with them. Yeah. I mean, the college, the jump from college to the pros is, is a tough one. I mean, it's not working. Uh, I've never turned around a program in college and I've never turned around a bad NFL team, but as an outsider looking in, it would seem to me that the important skills to turning around a college program do not necessarily overlap with what you need to turn around an NFL program. So like, it feels like being, personable and like a good salesman and having a, a um a talented bag man is going to turn around a college program <laughs> that ain't the nfl you know so like I, I don't know if you're bringing somebody from college my assumption is that you're bringing them for their x's and o's expertise not for their ability to manage players because nfl players are very different and NFL locker rooms are very different than college locker rooms and recruiting is different than drafting and signing. Um, and then if you're bringing somebody from college because they're expert X's and O's expertise, like it's hard to really see that because college is so much simpler a game. Like uh, the guys run the same place. <laughs> they aren't instituting brand new game plans every week. Maybe they do at Alabama or something like that. But by and large, it's like, we got something at work, get it to our good guys. And hopefully he's matched up with a guy that's going to be an accountant in a couple of years and not a guy who's going to the NFL. And that'll work. Here are the last few coaches. Well, here are all the coaches hired from college over the last 20 years. You ready? 
Matt Rule, Cliff Kingsbury, Bill O'Brien, Chip Kelly, Doug Marone, Greg Schiano, Jim Harbaugh, Bobby Petrino, Lane Kiffin, Nick Saban, Steve Spurrier, Butch Davis. I mean. <laughs> Bill O'Brien's the best one. Your guy. The thing, you you, you always hear the same stories too, which is like many of these guys tend to just try to have their fingers in too many pots. Um, Bill O'Brien literally taking over the entire franchise, of course. But like now you're hearing like Matt Rule, <laughs> he, he, he had opinions about the digital video, which points in his favor. Panther Social is actually very good. But um, it does feel like there's like a management and this kind of brings it full, cir- full circle to the Harbaugh thing. There's like a management skill that's lost in some of these choices. I don't know how to find it. Like, I don't know how you like. Okay, so I was talking about Brian Dable and how he should be coached. He should be coached the year. I don't know how you would know that he would have been good at any of this. I mean, what has he done well? He's brought in good play callers. He's shown some humility and aggression, creativity, resourcefulness. We knew he was a good play caller in Buffalo. I don't know how you yeah, and find that. To to that point, and we were not in the decision making process. We know that they had they made the decision to hire him before they uh, even interviewed some other candidates. But that aside, we don't know why they chose Brian Dayball. The assumption was they chose Dayball because of what he did with Josh Allen. But you and I would agree that. That ain't what being a head coach is. Yeah. So he turns out, it turns out that he's really good at this other head coach stuff, but he got this love and attention because Josh Allen was bad. And then Dayball got there and he was good. Or well, Dayball was there and turned him into good. And that's kind of why people were like, Hey, get this guy a shot. Yeah. I truly, I think, look, Obviously, I think having success calling plays or developing a player, whether that's on offense or defense, you know, that's a thing at least you can point to. Like when D'Amico Ryans is a head coach next year, people will point to the San Francisco 49ers defense and say, look at how good they've been over the last couple of years, his creativity, his development, all of that. But as far as the other side of things, it's just, it's a crapshoot. So congratulations, New York, at this point. It seems like you got it right. Um, As far as Carolina goes... This is a team that's going to probably draft a quarterback. They look like one of the worst teams in the NFL right now. Um, so I guess, you Poor know. quarterback. I don't think it's that bad of a situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, they're, they're talented. But yeah. I guess we'll see who the coach is going to be. It's not going to be Steve Wilkes. He's an uh, interim coach because that is what the black guys get to do. The sacrificial interim lamb. Coach. Like, it feels like they're always, like, Terry Rubisky, <laughs> it's just always the the black coach in the building. We're like, hey, let's get these numbers up. Throw him in the fire. I got two questions for you, though. Hit me. One, what is a crapshoot? Are you actually shooting crap? And two, <laughs> how do you think um, how you think Matt Rule reacted when he found out he was gonna have to go home and not coach the team? For like fifty more million dollars, crapshoot is the flip side of an angle dump. I would say. Oh, um, well done. And Matt Rule said, "Well, I'm just gonna go swim in my giant pool of money." And oh, outstanding. What a what a. What I remember a, what um, a lucky guy. 
my uh, contract year in Atlanta, um, like it was a really stressful year in my life and I played really well. And I remember we lost in a playoff game against the Cardinals and I played well in that game. And like being very, it was a wild card round. And I remember being very upset while I was on the field, like after the game was over and like the handshake or whatever. By the time I got to the locker room, I sat down and cut the tape off my feet. And I was like, you just had a great season and you're a free agent. I was not sad by the time I was on that bus and on the plane back to Atlanta. I'm sorry, Atlanta fans. I played hard, did the best I could, but wasn't sad. It is nowhere near what Matt Rule was walking in. I had to work for the rest of that, and it wasn't nearly as much as Matt Rule got. Yeah, he really doesn't. He doesn't have to work for the rest of his life if he doesn't want to. Well. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. I just I cheat the system. I guess he was the real winner all along. All right. I'll see you next week.